Welcome back to the Australian Rotary Health Podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper and today on episode 49, we will have a chat with Professor Viviana Wuthrich. From 2017 to 2018, Viviana received a mental health research grant from Australian Rotary Health for her project Psychological Stepped Care for Anxious Adolescents in Community Mental Health Services and Effectiveness Trial. Viviana is a professor in the Department of Psychology at Macquarie University and is the director of the Centre for Aging, Cognition and Wellbeing. Viviana's research interests relate broadly to understanding and treating of mental disorders across the lifespan. So welcome to the podcast, Viviana. It's great to have you here. How have you been? Yes, I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. It's great to have you. Um, so, so your research project uh, focused on the stepped care approach for helping adolescents with anxiety. For anyone listening who might not know, uh, what is stepped care and what led you to decide to use this particular approach? Yeah, so stepped care is a health framework, which theoretically is about uh, providing health services to people that are more efficient and are more cost effective. And so the idea with stepped care is that when someone presents for, let's say, a mental health issue, they would first receive an intervention which is evidence-based, so one that we know would work, but it's a type of intervention which requires lower cost to deliver that service. So a good example is internet interventions, which are often then supported by very brief therapist calls. So therefore, it costs less to deliver that particular intervention than uh, Uh, intervention which requires someone coming in and seeing a therapist for you know an hour every week and the idea is that then if someone has not benefited sufficiently from that first step then they would be moved up to a second step and the second step would require more cost and uh, higher therapist uh, hours for instance and in some step care interventions there is a step three and there's a step four and the idea is that because you can treat hopefully a good chunk of people with those first steps, you actually then save money, but you're still providing um, good evidence-based interventions. So theoretically, this sounds like a very attractive model that you can imagine would really improve the health um, services and mental health services around Australia. Um, And while it's sort of been rolled out in a slightly different model throughout the UK, there's actually been very few scientific trials to see whether it actually delivers on its promises. Mm-hmm. So the uh, very few trials that have been done, um, one of them done at uh, the Macquarie University Centre for Emotional Health Clinic, led by uh, Professor Ron Rapay, and that demonstrated that, yes, there really were some great benefits to using stepped care, but that was in a university clinic, and we know how highly controlled those clinics are. So really the question is, do these models work in the real world? Theoretically, this is where they should be the most impactful. And so um, this project was really taking this stepped care model and applying it into a real world setting. And it really is a, a world first in terms of a trial. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like a, a great option, um, you know, to try and, you know, yeah, deliver that, that the, those mental health services to, to those who need it, especially when they can't see a therapist. Um, so this study um, involved conducting a, a trial of the effectiveness of, of stepped care. 
how, how did you go about doing that and what were your aims? Yeah, so we knew this might be um, challenging to go into a service and basically try and change the way they deliver therapy. Um, so we were very focused on adolescent anxiety in this particular um, project. And so we co-designed with the uh, local health district managers how we might be able to apply stepped care approaches within their services. So we tried to use as many of the existing um, measurement tools that they already used in those services. Um, and so we were really just changing the way therapy would be approached in those services. Um, we actually used Headspace centres in our local area. And for any of us, anyone listening from an international audience, Headspace are our sort of walk-in or drop-in um, mental health services for adolescents, which are available essentially for free for an adolescent. Um, and so we randomly allocated the uh, Headspace centres to either be part of this stepped care or to deliver this stepped care approach or to just deliver treatment as usual. And so the idea being that any adolescent with anxiety that walked into those Headspace centres would either receive treatment as usual or they would go through this stepped care approach. So in the stepped care approach, an anxious adolescent would first be offered internet intervention our chilled out um, cool kids program, which was eight modules. And it was supported by four brief therapist telephone calls. At the end of that intervention, if they were not better, they wanted further help, they would then come into the Headspace clinic and receive up to 10 sessions of a face-to-face -face cognitive behavior therapy, uh, the cool kids program. And so we basically measured then, you know, how, what were the differences in terms of the clinical effectiveness between the two programs? Uh, what were the differences in terms of uh, wait, wait time? What were the differences in terms of quality of life? Um, what were the differences in terms of the number of therapist hours used? Mm. And most importantly, sorry, I almost forgot, we really wanted to understand the acceptability and um, barriers to this particular approach and so we then actually asked for feedback both from the adolescents and the clinicians about you know whether they liked this stepped care approach. Mm. And yeah it sounds like you measured a lot of different outcomes there. Um, what, what would you say were some of the key findings from the trial? Um, well the key findings were that stepped care was beneficial um, however, <laughs> it was not, it was not all rosy. So it was sort of a, did it work? Yes and no type of uh, response. So we did find that stepped care produced similar outcomes on a range of things. So there were similar uh, reductions in anxiety symptoms. There were similar improvements in quality of life. Um, there was similar treatment satisfaction for those adolescents that had stepped care and those that had their usual um, treatment services. We did find that the stepped care was associated with less therapist time. So we could say that probably it is less costly. Um, in fact, we found that the stepped care approach used uh, four and a half hours less therapist time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's probably a pretty reasonable um, saving in cost. And the, but, you know, that same time produced same therapy outcomes. So that's actually a really great thing about the stepped care approach. To our surprise, we didn't find any differences in waiting times. So we had thought that by um, offering internet treatments, that would mean that adolescents wouldn't have to wait as long. They'd be able to be accessing services quicker. We didn't find that to be the case. Um, but really that pointed to uh, difficulties with the way the services are set up themselves, which I'll talk about um, in, in just a moment. Mm. 
Um, we also, but we did have some challenges. This was definitely not an easy trial to um, implement. And in fact, when we looked at the acceptability and feasibility, the results were really very mixed there. So on one hand, we found that, you know, we had these similar benefits. We found that adolescents were engaged at similar levels, you know, in terms of the, the internet program and the treatment as usual. Um, but we did find that uh, the use of the, or the acceptability of the therapist calls that supported that internet program was really very mixed, all right? So clinicians did report a lot of difficulties getting the adolescents on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, now, any parent would know that this is completely true. This is, of course, what we would have found. Mm -hmm. Adolescents just often didn't answer their phone, which made it very hard for clinicians to, to um, <laughs> deliver their support call. Um, sometimes when adolescents did answer the phone, they were often really embarrassed to talk if they were in public. They didn't want to talk to their therapists, which is fair enough. Um, and so clinicians reported that they found that hard to then have a good sense of where the adolescent client was actually up to in terms of their treatment. So that was definitely something that was a little bit challenging. Um, a mark of success might be that the end of that step one, only 23% of adolescents decided they needed further help and went on to step two. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of adolescents who said that they benefited from the program, but it's also true that some of them just went on and got help elsewhere, all right? So it's a little bit hard to know um, how many of those, um, you know, it was, about, it was about a third said that they were better, a third said they went and got help elsewhere, and a third just didn't give a reason for why they didn't want to go on. So, you know, certainly more research is uh, needed. But when we um, took on board the feedback from adolescents and clinicians about the acceptability of the stepped care approach. Um, this is where findings really were very mixed. So the clinicians um, and the adolescents themselves reported really strong preferences in being able to choose whether they had the internet program or a face-to-face -face program. And that was really one of the clearest messages that came from this project is that while these stepped care interventions did work, some of the adolescents really would just have preferred to have been able to go straight to face-to-face. And we saw that there were a couple of adolescents that refused to use the internet program, giving that reason specifically. There were just three of them, but they said, look, you know, I will wait, please, until the face-to-face -face component. We did find some feedback from clinicians about um, challenges in delivering a therapy according to protocol. So there were definitely some clinician preferences in which they would prefer to be able to pick and choose the uh, therapy elements that they think is best for this particular population. And the other piece of feedback was just that the headspace centres were not really set up to deliver stepped care interventions. Mm. And that is the way they're funded, clinicians are funded. So there's no one really funded at the right level to be able to deliver those telephone calls, for instance. And so this just made the whole process just quite challenging for the uh, services themselves. So really the, um, the Headspace clinicians were recommending that future step care um, approaches would have a, a dedicated salaried staff member who would be dedicated to deliver those um, early therapy thought, um, uh, steps. So overall, there was definitely success, but it definitely wasn't smooth sailing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, despite all of those challenges, it sounds like you really learnt a lot um, from, from this research trial. And, and I guess you can, you know, put all of that together in, into some further research, hopefully. Is that something that you've received further funding for at the moment? Or are there plans in the works um, to conduct further research into this area? 
Yes, look, all of those things. I mean, this was definitely a trial that had a lot of learnings. Um, I think not just for me personally, but I think, you know, we've published this in the in the literature um, because it really is what makes the rolling out of evidence-based interventions into practice really challenging. It's, it was a really important trial because it was helped us to understand the very clear barriers that are going to be in the way and ideas then about how we solve those barriers so that we can really move more of this evidence-based practice um, into, um, into the real-world settings. Mm. So while this study... Um, while it was, we had quite a number of uh, delays along the way because we had um, changes with staffing and required retraining. And so this, these studies have actually only just been published now. And so and we're hoping that these results now will be used for future funding specifically around um, adolescent mental health. But the learnings from this trial were actually used to um, gain uh, NHMRC funding for a very large stepped care evaluation in older adult mental health. So we're doing that now in six um, mental health services in New South Wales for older adults. And the learnings from this trial very much governed the design of how we are trying to approach stepped care in those particular services. So while this was in adolescent anxiety, the results are really far reaching because they really have implications for how we translate any of the interventions we develop in university clinics into the real world setting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and before you mentioned that the intervention was used in headspace centres, do you see that um, this becoming part of routine practice in the future? Uh, not yet. So it is true, though, that the headspace centres do go on to continue to use the, the face-to-face version of uh, Cool Kids, right? So they do like that. They like the evidence base of it. Um, but the idea of applying one step and then another step is something that I don't think headspace centres are ready to pick up just yet. And that's because now we've learnt really we need to make some changes to the way we deliver that, whether it be about letting um, consumers choose the type of intervention they receive or allowing clinicians to sort of um, decide that, you know, a particular case might need to be stepped straight to step two rather than going through an internet program. I think these are the sorts of challenges we now need to overcome. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when thinking about the, the implications um, of this research, um, yeah, what, what do you think it might mean in terms of the, the mental health of young Australians in, in terms of helping them? Yeah, look, I think one of the profound messages was really how much consumer choice plays an important role in, in us thinking about how we deliver these sorts of interventions. Um, it was a very clear message that sometimes adolescents loved the internet program, that they could do it in their own time, um, that there were adolescents that could do it remotely from areas where they normally couldn't walk into a headspace centre and they found it beneficial. But there was also clear messages that for some adolescents, they really just wanted that face-to-face contact, contact. And so I think we need to think about ways that we can really build that into our scientific trials where consumer choice is part of what we uh, consider in, in um, giving interventions. And so, in fact, it was actually that feedback that when we were applying this stepped care intervention in older adults, we took on board. And mm-hmm. so in the older adult trial, um, the consumers are actually offered an internet program or a work-at-home program, of, both supported by brief telephone calls, because we decided that we would try and bring some choice in there, recognising that some older people may have difficulties using the internet or may not want to use the internet. So we'll see whether that uh, small amount of choice has actually helped the engagement um, in steps care in that particular age group. 
Mm. Yeah, and I guess it, it really um, tells us that, you know, not one thing is going to work for everyone and, and, and that's why research is so important so that you can, you know, try and test different things that might work for some but, yeah, might not work for others. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, um, the Rotarians who support our research always love to hear about the positive outcomes um, from the research that they fund. Would you like to tell our our Rotary audience what this funding has meant for your research career personally? Um, Well, look, it's a world first and it's already really cool to talk have a world first where you know that even though perhaps it was a small study and, gosh, it was hard work, that, you know, it really has really important uh, results. And so that means that there will be a stepping stone paper that really, um, as I said, it really helped us to achieve the, um, you know, NHMRC funding, which is uh, about $1.2 million that we received there uh, to do that steps care evaluation in older adults. And these things together then will lead to much bigger, um, you know, funding opportunities, which mean that we can really make an impact on how these services deliver treatment. It's these smaller trials that really build to much bigger trials that then have the lasting impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and as I mentioned earlier um, in your in your bio, you're interested in treating mental disorders across the lifespan. And you may have heard that recently um, Australian Rotary Health um, announced that we're going to be allocating our funding um, to research projects that are targeted specifically at youth um, between the ages of zero to 12. Um, do you have any particular comments on the importance of continuing mental health research for this age group? Yeah, look, this is a great decision by Australian Rotary Health um, because we really know that mental disorders can be prevented um, when we use evidence-based interventions and we can prevent them from very early in life. There's been a number of really key findings that show that if we think about anxiety, that we can actually change the trajectory of children's um, outcomes by targeting these early warning signs you know, in in the preschool years, for instance, all right? Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, then it offsets that whole um, uh, series, the cascade of negative experiences and negative consequences that can occur. Because once a child has a mental disorder as a childhood, we know that makes them more vulnerable to more severe and more mental disorders when they get to adolescence. If their anxiety hasn't been treated in childhood, the chance of them developing depression as well and substance abuse in adolescence is much higher and we know those things that make people more vulnerable to further mental disorders and unemployment etc in adulthood so I think I think it's a great strategy and I think it's um, how we can probably get the best bang for our buck so to speak by targeting those you know those early years with preventative efforts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your your time today. Was there anything else that you'd like to add um, before we wrap up? Well, I just wanted to say thank you again to um, Australian Rotary Health uh, for the funding for this particular project, but also to all the Rotarians who actively raise money for these projects and other projects done by Rotary and, of course, to your donors. Um, I really believe that this particular research program um, continues to lead to really impactful research being done across Australia. And you can really start to see the significant impacts it's going to have on people's lives. So, yeah, just congratulations and um, thank you again for the opportunity. Well, thank you for for keeping up all the good work. Yeah, it's very important, the research that you're doing. So, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. That was the 49th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. 
It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Viviana's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.